Well, good evening again. Uh, on Monday nights, we have been exploring uh, this teaching that is called the ox herding pictures. So we're learning how to be ox herders. <laughs> well, the metaphor is um, we are ox herders as Dharma practitioners, and we're looking for our true nature, which is the ox, which is already here, but we haven't figured that out yet. Maybe some of us had, have. So today actually um, is the picture that's called seeing the ox. So we actually are, we're seeing it now. Last week we only saw traces and the week before it was just um, beginning the search. So seeing the ox, or sometimes it's called the first glimpse of the ox. And so today we're going to talk about Kensho because that is the theme of this third picture. I'm going to share my screen just to show you all the pictures. They're kind of fun. So we're seeing the rear end of the ox. <laughs> there's one and there's a different, different artist, same basic concept. So yes, you might ha may have already started reading the, the um, prose and the poem. So the prose is, through sound you gain entry, by sight you face your source. The six senses are none different in each daily deed plainly there in each daily deed, plainly there, like salt in water, like glue in paint. Raise your eyebrows. It is nothing other. Through sound you gain entry by sight, you face your source. The six senses are none different in each daily deed, plainly there, like salt in water or glue in paint. Raise your eyebrows, it's nothing other. And then the poem, I wanted to just read the poem for this one right away, because I think it's evocative of the state we're talking about. So it's, in the trees, nightingales sing and sing again. Sun warms the soft wind, green willows line the bank. Here, there's nowhere left for it to hide. Its majestic head and horns, no artist could draw. In the trees, nightingales sing and sing again. Sun warms the soft wind, green willows line the bank. Here, there's nowhere left for it to hide its majestic head and horns, no artist could draw. Part of the reason maybe we see only the backside, no artist could draw. I get a little teary when I read that. You know, speaking about this direct realization of our true nature and like, you know, no word, no image, no, Thing after the fact is going to do it justice. It's 
you know, part of what we were exploring in meditation was that, that, that intimacy. Like, how do you even begin to communicate the intimacy of just breathing or just seeing or just hearing or just feeling? And we're entering this place beyond concept, which is going to be a theme for the next you know, seven more weeks. We're entering this place beyond concept where we're, we're opening to the intimacy of what is. And we're, <laughs> we're using words and images and poetry to describe it. And I think, you know, it's, there's a tension there. In, in what I just said about like no words can describe it, like no artist can, can actually capture one's true nature. And yet like everything, <laughs> everything we do, everything we say is it. It's like so simple and so profound simultaneously. And so like every artistic expression, everything we do to try to capture it, we are. And we're, and we're missing it simultaneously. So I think this poem it begins to invoke the state. It describes the, like, the seeing through the barrier that we usually have between what I call myself and the world. So this this stage on this path of awakening is opening to the fullness, the vastness, the ordinariness of life. Who we are when we aren't trying to defend, when we aren't bound up in fear or overtaken with confusion or the many forms of hatred and desire, when we just are. We just are. Rupert Spira has this book called Being Myself, which is really a meditation on who we are when nothing extra is added. And one of the lines is like, you know, when you, when you get up in the morning before you start thinking about the day, or when you go to sleep and your head hits the pillow before images from dream, but after you've kind of processed the day, like there are so many spaces in our day where actually we're not cogitating or judging or distracted, but we're just simply present. And sometimes we just take those for granted or don't even notice them. So we have this like big word, Kensho, is about actually experiencing our life as it is, actually recognizing, you know, recognizing intimacy, recognizing who we are when we're not thinking about something else or like distracted from the present moment. And soon and through, you know, through that recognition, you know, thoughts are included. It's just often in the beginning of practice and that extends to 
in a lot of you know different directions and we can get confused it's like whenever we get confused and start to think our thoughts are us then we're getting like pulled off but thoughts too are just arising in the intimacy of now and can be experienced just like any of the other senses so when we just are, when we, we just are present, awake, aware, here, you know, this might sound overly simple, but let's say it's simple and profound. Like when we just are, our senses are operating without hindrance. We see, we hear, we smell, we taste, we feel, we think freely without obstacle and without boundary. So it's like, yeah, something extra, this feeling of like, oh, I'm in here and like I'm perceiving the world out there. It's like on the actual sense experience, and maybe some of you had a taste of it during the meditation or some other time in your, in your practice life of like, the, the intimacy of just being with the breath, that, that sense of inside and outside can begin to loosen. Or when we're just seeing, like it's actually like an extra step or it happens later after the seeing happens. There's the I see or there's the camera you know there's the name for what we see or the judgment about what we see or the feeling about what we see but the first moment of mind sometimes I talk about moments of mind in Zen the first Nen Nen means moment of mind is just pure experience so that's part of what this uh, third ox herding picture is pointing to I, I was I was reflecting on like you know when when is this state really evoked and for those of you who've done sashin um, you may remember if you do sashin at, at Great Vow we do this um, closing circle and during closing circle after sashin people's shares um, are you know attempts to put into words the intimacy of something that they experienced. And so there, there can be like articulations of falling in love with spots on the floor or urinals or concrete blocks. There have many, been many declarations of love for, for these seemingly inanimate objects or the smell of compost, you know, things that usually are like irritating. And suddenly I was like, I loved the fly that was crawling on my finger during that fifth day of sashin and it wouldn't stop buzzing. And so like there can be like as, you know, as judgmental mind quiets down, as reactive mind quiets down, as like all the, the ways that, you know, we're kind of constantly like self-making, that's another Zen term, you know, constantly like building ourselves up or tearing ourselves down in the, in the inner critical way, like when all of that it drops away momentarily, and that can be in a period of sazen, or that can be during a retreat. 
we begin to really start to come into the, the intimacy of things as they are. And it can be exquisite, like feeling the breath can be exquisite or hearing like the sounds in the heater or the sound of rain falling on the roof. Like there's just like actually the sense world is exquisite. Um, in one of the koans, uh, they speak to this as like becoming a connoisseur of, of your experience. Like, like, you know, like a wine connoisseur like recognizes all of those different flavors and taste notes within wine or coffee. Now all the taste notes within coffee, you know, we can do that with our life. And that's part of what, you know, this level of attention begins to open up is, you know, we can see the, the myriad shades of green within the jade leaf or, you know, whatever we're looking at. It's, there's so much more there. You know, one, one line in, our, in one of the chants says, this sense world is enlightenment. When we're experiencing the sense world, from this place of openness. Now we can't do that all the time usually. It can be too overwhelming or we have to be too slowed down. But you know, as we practice having access to it, we have access to it more and more and more. And so, you know, for me it's something actually it just takes a quality of remembering and I can like switch into like, oh yeah, the sense world is enlightenment. Here it is. Or there's another line from our chant, other universes lie in all quarters. And so like, you know, being in tune with the exquisiteness, I'm using that word a lot, but I like it today. You know, but being in touch with that, like it opens up this other world or, or like those examples that I gave, um, of falling in love with a spot on the floor or urinal or like these are real stories. Um, or like the feeling of flies legs walking on your finger like this it's this whole world and sometimes I see that on day four or five during a a session like the magical child kind of awakens in people and you'll be like going for a walk in the woods and somebody is like belly on the ground like looking at a bug like you know like they do probably you know when you were a child and and you were in more of a timeless state and you could just stare at a a bug and its whole universe for for hours or at least minutes um and people are doing that during during breaks during session it's just yeah so delightful to see that open up and that's a it's an aspect of this awakened mind chosen would often quote the Bible of like you must become like a child to enter the kingdom of heaven she would often quote that during Sashin especially when we were doing Sashin like grasses and trees where we're we're sitting outside in nature but she would emphasize like really like that awakening the magical child is essential to this practice of of awakening because that's that's like the entrance gate into what we're calling Kensho, like the entrance gate into this deeper place of intimacy for most people involves a shedding of some of our more adult kind of controller manager parts and an opening to the just the innocence of being the wonder of being the magic 
the like the true magic of sense experience that that anything is happening at all so that's like the preparatory <laughs> experience to a kensho a step further and is all of this arises from the same source so that's the realization that opens up and maybe we need to fall in love with grasshoppers and urinals and compost smells first in order to really begin to see wait 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 this is all sourcing from the same place we're all made of the same stuff all is mind all is ox this 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 is it this is it. And someone said on the, f the first day when we started this um, exploration of the ox herding pictures, it's like we're at a dinner party and everyone has the word ox written on their head and can't even see it. And this, it's true in this sense. It's like now we're beginning to see it. It's like, wow, it's on you too and you and it's on everyone and everything. It's ox, ox including this body, heart and mind, including anything that's sourcing from, from my inner world. It's all one thing. It's all ox. It's all, it's all moo. That's, you know, that's how moo is considered a breakthrough colon, a way of, of seeing one's true nature. And Chosen Rishi, again, she would instruct everything is moo. And so one of the ways she would have us practice with that is like to Anything you see, hear, smell, taste, feel is moo. And so like every step, moo, moo, moo. Every raindrop, every sound, moo. Every thought, moo. And you start to begin to open to this whole universe is moo, or this whole universe is mind, or ox, or, or, or our true nature. These, these words are just metaphor, substitute for the experience of, of, of oneness, one taste. And so there are moments, and we've all had them and maybe not recognize them, there, but there are moments when the sense of self or the constriction around the sense of self drops away. And what I'm saying is just so obvious. It's like, why are you even bothering to say this? Why are you, why are you even bothering to like do a whole Dharma talk on this? So obvious. And, 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 um, our first times like really walking through this apparent door or when this apparent door seems to open. Another thing Chosen Roshi often used to say is like from our side it seems like there's a gate that we need to enter and we're working so hard to figure out how to get through that gate but on the other side it's just wide open it's been wide open since we were born waiting for us <laughs> to realize that there actually is no gates but you know because we're so used to being kind of clouded in confusion or identified with our thinking minds or just kind of ignorance of the simplicity of uh, awakened nature, our true nature, it can seem just so glorious, so relieving, so beautiful when these 
openings when these tastes uh, of awakened nature happen. That's like that, that last line in the poem that I read, like this glorious eyes or face and horns. No artist can capture it. To be really here and to be really now. So I wanted to um, read from Muman Roshi his commentary on this um, this first stanza. And he talks a little bit about uh, Kensho in a more traditional way. So he says, "By, by listening, uh, sorry." <laughs> By listening carefully to the call of the ox, we open the gate of the ideal and are able for the first time to encounter it in our heart-mind. In Buddhism, it is said our consciousness has six functions or six roots, eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, and mind. Among these, the working of the ears is most marvelous. It is said that Kanon Bodhisattva is sensitive to all the sounds of the world. So Kanon Bodhisattva, the Bodhisattva of compassion. It is not just sounds, but all workings of the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, and mind are Kanon Bodhisattva. Still, among these, sounds do the most work in our consciousness. Shakyamuni awakened when he saw the morning star at dawn. Ryu Ryu-un Osho awakened when he looked at the blossoms of a peach tree. Badabara Bodhisattva is said to have experienced Satori when he got into a bath. But in addition to these ways, there seem to have been quite a few people who experienced Satori on hearing a sound. Muman Osho, the compiler of the Muman Khan, suddenly was awakened on hearing the drum in the dining hall. Kyogen Osho flicked a scrap of tile against a green bamboo in a bamboo groove and at the sound of the tak, suddenly had Kensho. Hakuin Osho heard the sound of the temple bell at dawn and instantly was swept by Satori. The Haku, the Haku, Haiku poet Basho had his kensho on hearing the splash of water when a frog leaped into an old pond. This is what is meant by, through sound you gain entry, by sight your face, you face your source. Through some external stimulus, Satori is triggered. The plop sound made by the frog that leaped into the old pond wasn't just a sound, it hit Basho as if the entire universe imploded. When Ryuin saw the peach blossoms in bloom, he leaped up in astonishment. Actually, though, when you think about it, we should all be astonished at the world we are living in. We are not the least bit excited. Without something fresh, new, to move your consciousness like this, you will not penetrate to the source. So he just um, gave a list of examples of the, you know, some of the um, known masters and bodhisattvas 
who have attained awakening in their awakening stories, which is, I wanted to read that because that's a common thing that would be studied if you were like, you know, at a, a Zen monastery, or if you were like really like taking on Zen training in a, in a rigorous way, there's, um, you either are doing it through the koans or they're just like, you're listening to stories constantly through the teacher talking um, about the stories of the old masters. You're listening to these stories of awakening. So they become part of your vernacular. And the intention there too is to like, you know, just keep reminding us that it's possible. I think, I think sometimes, and this definitely happened to me, the narratives can get in our minds and then it's like, oh, when I go into the bath, it's going to happen. When I touch the doorknob, when I <laughs> stub my toe, there's somebody who stubbed their toe and every time I stub my toe, I'm like, man, it didn't work for me again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Spent too many sashim narrating my awakening and writing my poems. <laughs> And eventually that gets old. So. <laughs> but, but yeah, that is one thing that can actually get in the way is that we think like, oh, it's going to be something. It's going to look like this. And then we miss that actually it's, it's right here. And it's through often, you know, all of these stories that I told, it's through concentration that the mind becomes fetchable often. Not always, not in all cases, but, but often like in order to recognize what is before thought, the mind needs to be fairly concentrated. You're just you're re- really able to rest for some periods of time in the present moment. And that just makes us more available to to being opened to what is right here but we often don't see it because of our fixed views our fixed beliefs our habits of mind and then sometimes we do so i wanted to um yeah i wanted to say a little bit more on that uh because you know sometimes talking about Kensho, then we want to know, like, what is the best practice to facilitate Kensho? And the best practice to facilitate a Kensho is whatever practice you're doing. Like, really, truly, really, truly, if you're interested in, you know, whatever practice you're doing, that facilitates being in the present moment. And that's the whole point. The ox, our true nature is only here. So any practice that helps you be here in the present also will allow for the recognition or realization of mind, of awareness, um, of the ox, <laughs> of our true nature to dawn. And we can't control when or how our constricted self will drop away. But doing zazen and, and letting the mind get quieter and more concentrated um, really, truly is the best preparation. So I wanted to read something else um, by a contemporary teacher on enlightenment, on, on Kensho. Uh, this is Joan Sutherland. I've, I've read from this article. 
before, so some of you might be familiar with it. And she says, enlightenment has an absolute quality about it, as though it describes a steady state, something not subject to time and space or the inconsistencies of human life. We imagine that once over that threshold, there's no going back. But it's far from static. In Buddhist terms, the way things really are is enlightenment. And our experience of the way things really are is also the same enlightenment. It is the vast and all-inspiring nature of the universe itself. And it it is the way each of us thinks, feels, and acts when we're aware of and participating in that vast enlightenment manifesting as us. It's not transcendent of our ordinary way of being. It's more like we've been living in two dimensions and now there are three. Strawberries still taste like strawberries and harsh words are still harsh. But now we're aware of how everything interpermeates everything else. And that even the most difficult things are lit from within by the same undivided light. For one woman, this revelation began with what she called the dark side of the moon. When she saw the light in the most broken places inside us, the places from which we're capable of causing great harm. As someone in a helping profession dealing with the effects of that harm, she found this painful to accept. Then the bright side of the moon appeared, illuminating the great joys of her life. Finally, she saw that it was all moon with nothing left out, a, realizing, a realization both shattering and healing. A thousand years ago, a Japanese woman wrote, watching the moon at dawn, solitary, mid-sky, I knew myself completely, no part left out. And her name was Izumi Shikibu. How large is the self softly illuminated by the moon of enlightenment? Tolstoy and Chekhov were on a walk in the spring woods when they encountered a horse. Tolstoy began to describe how the horse would experience the clouds, trees, smell of wet earth, flowers, sun. Chekhov exclaimed that Tolstoy must have been a horse in a previous life to know in such detail what the horse would feel. Tolstoy laughed and said, no, but the day I came across my own inside, I came across everybody's inside. And that's, that's one description of Kensho. That's one description of seeing into our, our nature. It's like that that confidence comes like even though it was this one experience with a chip or somebody um there's a teacher who had a enlightenment experience eating bananas foster (laughs) so there's you know it's not and then it's it's this recognition it's not just the bananas foster it's it's in everything and that's part of the realization and so once you know you know deeply know your true nature you know that it extends into and is what connects all of us 
We still might not be able to know exactly what the horse is thinking, <laughs> right? Or what anybody is thinking. So this is the third of the ox herding pictures. And I think that's important for us to remember because sometimes we think, oh, you know, we'll, we'll have an enlightenment experience and then it's done. Like, we've got it. We can go on to the next thing. I mean, this is a common thought. I know some of you resonate with that. But, so it's a common thought. I mean, I definitely believe that. And it seems like, okay, Buddhism, fast track to enlightenment, have my enlightenment experience, and then, then I can start teaching this stuff. But really, like, I'm, Hogan would always say, like, there's no shortcut to spiritual maturity. And this process of awakening is continuing to familiarize ourselves with, what is true and sometimes that means like going underground <laughs> and really like you know working on our own habits and beliefs and conditioning that that prevent us from continuing to uh, dwell in and make contact with uh, the awakened nature that is everywhere and you know sometimes it's like you know just continuing to practice so we have these openings and then often they close back up but we know something that's true and that's you know i talked about faith last week this is really i think more of a description of faith it's it's the path of awakening but it's also the path of faith because these these experiences like begin to seed our faith and then let the faith grow so that we you know, our, our awakening can grow and, and meet you know, the next situation of our life presents, the next challenge our life presents. So I wanted to share this teaching by Naguma, who's a great uh, Tibetan yogini. And she has this teaching called The Four Reasons We Fail to Recognize Our Nature. The first is, it's so close it's so close we don't see it. And the second is, it's so simple. It's so simple we don't believe it. The third is, it's so profound. It's so profound we can't comprehend it. The fourth, it's so precious we feel we don't deserve it. And so any, any one of those can be reasons why we keep missing what is already right here. In a way, Kensho is the most natural thing. And we have experiences of non-separation all the time and we don't recognize them. And you might, you might notice, like, there are some kind of key moments, I think, like when you come out of Zazen and just see the floor or just see the face of the person across from you, or just hear the sound of the bell or a bird, there's, there it is. Or often we're either distract, detra distracted or trying too hard to see it or hear it. And that, <laughs> that's its own kind of training. Yeah, to be, I feel like this is, 
know, still the cutting edge of my practice to, to be both alert and receptive. You know, sometimes we think we are, have to make alertness happen, but awareness, our, our nature is, is alert, it's awake, and it's also completely receptive. So there's like kind of a relaxing back that we begin, I think this is part of faith too, we begin to, to be able to trust that and we'll get to next week because next week involves more, more talk around effort and, and meeting challenge. So we have, you know, we have t- this week we're talking about Kensho intimacy, the wonder and marvelousness of, of life and, and connection to life. And then next week we'll talk about challenge and they go together. Like that's the next step on the path as many of you know <laughs> from personal experience. So last, I'll leave you with this. Kensho is about intimacy. It's about being like, stark naked with our lives. It's about being here. So simple, so close, <laughs> so utterly profound and so precious. Oh, we can end there. I'm curious if anybody has just any thoughts, reflections, experiences you want to share? Questions? Mm.